Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 is a memory verse that I've had for a long time, and that is this. You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. When it comes to our minds, that is a very complicated thing. And Dr. Andy Scudinga is a psychology professor, and I've asked him today to uh, join in uh, a discussion and coach us on the defense mechanisms that we have in our in our psyches. We have responses, and, and it helps us with our feelings of anxiety or threats or things that we don't want to deal with or to think about. Uh, Andy, now, always nice to have you on the show. Welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you shouldn't have told me that you were Teacher of the Year at your school because now oh. I, can't help but to bring that, <laughs> I can't help but to bring that up. That's very kind it's of you. It's a very sweet honor. Yeah, it was uh it was it was really meaningful. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So let's talk about how complicated our, our egos, our minds can be. We are always looking for ways to, to do uh coping and possibly self preservation. Yeah. And I know that there are, are so many different ways that we go about doing that. Um so maybe we can start by just defining uh what the defense mechanism is. Yeah, you got to you have to go back about 100 years or so. Mm, I can do that. To our dear old friend Dr. Sigmund Freud. I was afraid you were going to bring him up. I know. Yeah. But I have to because That's okay. what what a lot of people don't want to accept is that Freud despite his flaws in his theory. He had some serious flaws, not only in his theory but as a as a human being, sure. right? I mean, we all are sinners, but he had some particularly um, kind of repulsive ideas about the nature of women and so on and so forth. And we're not going to get into that today. That's not the point. No. The point is, and I firmly believe, as a psychologist, I firmly believe this, there's a lot of truth in psychology that comes from God through decidedly non-Christian people. Mm-hmm. And Freud was one of those people. But he had some brilliant ideas. And one of his longest staying and most tried and true theoretical models is the idea of defense mechanisms. And just for a brief history, a defense mechanism for in Freud's model of personality, you have the id, the ego, and the superego. So the id is kind of that dark unconscious that has lots of thoughts. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. It's mostly, hey, what I want, go get it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the id. The ego is the conscious part of us in his model that says... Hey, should I, I'm really hungry. The id says, I'm really hungry. And the ego says, well, okay, we'll get some food. And there's a plate of cookies that don't belong to us. The superego is kind of the moral center of your mm-hmm. being. And that's also below the surface. It says, no, you can't just take what you want. The id says, I don't care. Take whatever you want. And the ego's job is kind of balance those two. This sounds like a Three Stooges movie right now. Yeah. You know hey, what no, I equated to? cookies. Mom. <laughs> Well, remember in all the old cartoons, like like the Looney Tunes, yeah, where the character was contemplating an important decision, 
And then all of a sudden, poof, on one shoulder is the oh, devil. Yeah. It always has a Brooklyn accent, right? <laughs> hey, you should take the cookies. They're yeah, good, right? right? Yeah, and yeah. it has a pitchfork. It's the devil, right? Yeah. And then the other side is the angel that sounds like Roma Downey. Oh, no, don't. Don't take the cookie, right? That's that's wrong. And I didn't know you were going to be doing voices today. Oh, yeah. Told, I had me. this prepared like hours ago. Well, you should have warned me. I practiced. Yeah. Can you tell? Why? Did you know anything about this? What, what if about I the said voices? Y- what if I said yes? Oh, that'd, be, that'd be scarier. <laughs> I, know, I didn't tell anybody because I knew you'd say, no, don't do that. Yeah. So that's kind of what his model looks like, right? You've got okay. the id saying, do whatever you want. Yeah. Get what I want. Yep. The super ego says, no, we must always follow the rules. And so these defense mechanisms, to get to the point, are serve as a way to protect us, our conscious ego, from what are sometimes really negative and maybe even evil thoughts okay. and desires. And what Freud probably didn't realize was that in the long term, these would be the things of his theory that made the most sense to people because research has proven over and over that we do this all the time. And they're actually quite accurate. And we can go through all the, the major ones that he has and some newer ones, too, that we that we really do. And we see them all the time. And as we talk about them, I guarantee you every listener out there is going to say, yeah, I've done that yeah. at least once. I've done that. Or oh, I do that a lot. We, well, we do these things. Andy, it's because our, our minds are, are, are complicated, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And this is why I, I go back to, you know, the Isaiah 26, 3 verse. You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Yeah. And that whole idea about taking every thought captive to Christ. Now, when we do that, I think we're, we're, we're much better able to process life. But as we look at the ways our brains are, are uh, compartmentalized, there's all these different defense, defense mechanisms we use to try to keep our head above water. Yeah. Many days. And he named them perfectly. They're, we're... We're protecting ourselves because not not every not every thought that comes to our mind is a good one, but also the kind of external or, or extrinsic things going on around us, they don't always make us feel good either. You know, if someone tells you, hey, you're doing a really bad job of this, mm-hmm. you know, we can, there's a lot of defense mechanisms mechanisms that we can utilize to protect ourselves. Sure. Like denial. I am not. I'm very good at this. Right. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I am happy. Why do you say I'm not happy? Right? Or, yeah. you know, re- you can regress. You can just crawl under a blanket on your couch or your bed for three hours because sure. somebody told you something you didn't like. Sure. Well, it's not a very mature way to handle things, but that's something that we do to protect ourselves. Yeah. So Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. He's a psychology professor. And let's start by talking about a healthy ego defense mechanism. There's something called sublimation. Yeah. This is where you, where individuals will channel a negative or unac- unacceptable impulse into something productive. Yeah, you know, that's a good one. You can't rake that lawn in 30 minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> that That's, yeah, that's kind of like reverse psychology, which, by the way, is... Is that sublimation or is that something completely different? Well, it, you know, it kind of is when you put it that way. Okay. You know, it, it, it is a little bit. I, I think another example would be you have some some really angry feelings towards a friend or your spouse or, you know, whatever, somebody, somebody that you care about that you can't just blow up at because, you know, A, that's not the right thing to do. And B, you don't really want to do something like that. So Mm -hmm. you've got a, you know, pile of rocks in your backyard that, you know, needs to be moved. So you go out and you say, I'm so mad. I'm just going to go out and move those rocks. I'm going to go chop wood. I'm going to go for a walk. Those are all positive things. Yeah. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to lift weights. Yeah. Go axe throwing. Yeah. 
Why do you have to bring up axe throwing? That seems weird. It's really fun. I'm sure. It is. <laughs> oh, I've done it before. It's well, I'd shake it his head cool. too. He loves axe throwing. Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. All right. I, so highly anyway. recommend it. That's okay. great sublimation activity, ladies okay. and gentlemen. So it's taking uh, something that would be um, negative or unacceptable and turning it into something positive. So there's something uh, that's a healthy ego defense mechanism. Is, is yeah. there another healthy ego defense mechanism after that? Probably not. <laughs> I, would hate, I would hate to think we got to turn negative already. No, there's there are some secondary ones. This was not one of Freud's originals, but like altruism, I think is actually tied pretty closely to sublimation. You know, deciding to do something nice for someone with nothing in return. You know, maybe you're having a bad day and you are in line at Starbucks and you pay for the next person's coffee. Yeah. You know, that's that's altruism, right? You're doing yeah. it. Now, it works better when they don't know it's you. Um, it, I would say that's not very altruistic when you're standing in front of somebody and you say, I'm going to buy this person's coffee behind me because you're going to get the feedback from them. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Right. That's, I don't think that's a very altruistic thing to do, honestly. Yeah. Um, and there's some argument about whether it's even possible to, to kind of commit altruism. <laughs> I say no, because I think even the most quote unquote unselfish acts are tinged with sin because we're sinful people, right? So you can't, you can't avoid that. But I think altruism might be one of those. But, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I, none of them are particularly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sometimes hard to uh, understand the way your brain even thinks because you have defense mechanisms and you sometimes just use whatever is available in the moment because yeah. you're trying to do self-preservation. Yeah, absolutely. I think... We probably develop habits around defense mechanisms that we kind of our go-to move. You know, like, for example, some people are more naturally prone to denial. No, no, I, that's, I did not do that. Or, no, that, that really isn't what they meant. Or, you know, something along those lines. I'm just going to deny the fact that something negative happened or I'm going to deny these feelings that I have. I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. Well, and Andy, it could be something pretty substantial. It could be something fairly traumatic. And you yes. you go, what, what What happened to you? Yeah. And, then you, and they're living in denial. Oh, it's nothing. It was fine. Yeah. And you go, no, no, that's not fine. No, that's, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's also one of the stages of grief. Uh, one of the five stages of grief is denial. Nope, my husband is not gone. He's not. He's just not breathing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a very common part of death um, yeah. is is uh, is denial. And I think that's actually it's it's pretty healthy and pretty common to go through that stage as long as it doesn't last for, you know, weeks on end. Because, yeah. you know, you have to bury somebody. But that's a that's a defense mechanism mechanism that you see in other areas of psychology, too. Yeah. So denial would be just kind of an out, outright refusal to admit or even to recognize that something has occurred or is currently occurring correct and I, I i've heard from many many people on the text line about how they're in a a, a pattern or a rut and they're trying yes. to act like everything is going to be okay and yet they've been living with it for a long time yeah it's not abuse he's just kind of rough he's a sometimes. Bad day. yeah he's he doesn't have anger management issues he's just learned how to yell a lot from his parents mm-hmm. well no actually that is abuse you're you're being emotionally abused you're being physically abused that that is what's happening. No, yeah. it's really not. You don't understand. You don't understand, and so that can be a, a real a real problem. So you could be admitting that something is is true, but maybe just trying to minimize its importance. Yep, yep. That's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Dr. Andy Scudiga is my guest. We're talking today about our very complicated minds. Andy's a psychology professor, and every time he comes on, I try to pick his brain so he can t- tell us about our brains. And today we're talking about defense mechanisms, and we're going to go through a bunch of these, and, and Andy is pretty sure you're going to see yourself in one or many of these uh, illustrations. So if you have a question or comment about anything we discuss you're so welcome to send a question over. I would encourage you to do so. The number is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Andy in just a minute. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, and right now, there are kids in desperate need of Jesus. Food and medical care, this is your time to become their champion, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope in their heart, and you work together with people on the ground to change the families, communities, and the future of these kids. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Dr. Andy Scudinger. He's a psychology professor, and today we're talking about defense mechanisms. We've got uh, a lot of things going on in our heads that try to protect us and and do self-preservation, and Andy is going to help us walk through some of this. Now, Andy, I think we all understand a little bit about what displacement is, where you have a, a bad day at work and you go home and you take your frustration out on your family yeah. or your friends. I think this is one of easily the most common ones of the defense mechanisms because it's it's so easy for us to have really frustrated feelings that we don't feel like we can um, express to certain people. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's coworkers or somebody who has some level of superiority over us, whether it's a coach or a manager or a boss. Sure. Um, you know, if your boss is something that's really, maybe really offensive to you or hurtful, you can't just blow up at your boss. And so a lot of people probably hang on to that and they carry that frustration and they get home and their spouse or their kids um, or even a friend that they're meeting says something that, you know, might be slightly offensive and you just kind of blow up at them. And we do this because we know, and, and you might think, well, why would you do that to somebody you love? Well, because they love you or right. because they're good friends with you and you have a deep relationship with them. They'll probably forgive you later or they'll probably understand or you'll be able to have an opportunity to explain yourself and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Here's why. Whereas with other with other relationships, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the sublimation piece comes in and it it's honestly, it's one of those things that it's probably not the best to do because you're, you're potentially hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a, of a, an effective defense mechanism, yeah. it's really effective because you're protecting yourself from ruining a relationship that might have significant costs to it Sure, because the person might not forgive you. They might say, you know what? On second thought, go find a new job. Yeah. Or, you can't be part of this group or you can't do this anymore because right. now you've kind of not only burned the bridge, but you, you erased it completely. So yeah. you're done. And so we got to be really careful with that. The, the way to handle it obviously is to maybe have a rational conversation with the person who offended you or hurt you. Mm-hmm. 
um, in a professional way or a more personal way. And then you don't have to worry about going home and taking it out on anybody sure, else. Sure, sure. Have you ever had the, the thought, am I getting somebody else's mail right now? <laughs> That's interesting. I've never thought of that phrase, but yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I like yeah, that one. Because I think that would be a perfect example of displacement. Oh, sure. Somebody, you, you have a, a friend that starts saying something to you and you're going, whoa, whoa, wait, am I getting somebody else's mail right now? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Oh, it's just copy- <laughs> I just copyrighted it. Very good. Yeah, thanks. I might have to use that. I know it's got a patent pending right now. Yeah. Well, I teach this personality theories class every fall. Yeah. So hopefully I can remember that one. (laughs) I'll remind you. For displacement. All right. You're getting somebody else's mail. So here's a denial question that just came in. Is it denial if you have physical pain that the doctors have told you that they they can't help you? And after a few months of being really down in the dumps about it, you finally accept it and are living with joy and strength and courage and not being a, a Debbie Downer anymore. Wow, that's an interesting. That's an interesting scenario. It's very courageous. Uh, yeah, actually, for, absolutely. For her to put that down in, in in a text, and if you have physical pain, the doctors can't identify it. You have physical pain. Yeah, it's not. It's, you know, you have real pain. Absolutely. Yeah. There's. You're not well, in there's this thing called psychosomatic. I was going to use that pain, word, but right? I thought I better not do it with a. Uh, professional psychologist in the <laughs> studio. Oh, it would have been the right word because I know I was thinking about we, using that. We do have that, right? There are many people who suffer from chronic pain, and it's psychosomatic, which essentially means it's it's in your head. It's a head symptom. It's yeah. not a physical symptom, but you yeah. do feel the pain. We feel pain from a lot of different things, and our you know our pain centers light up in in brain imaging when mm-hmm. we just hear something that's painful to somebody else. Like if you watch a video of somebody getting slapped across the face, yeah, you actually, if you've ever felt something like that, you your your brain will light up to say, I know what that feels like. Sure. You know, I've seen commercials for these power slap guys. You know, they like, it's like a boxing match, except you just slap the guy in front of you. We don't really watch the same TV shows. Oh, it's a commercial. I would watch. <laughs> I would, no, that has no entertainment value for okay. watching people right. slap each other. But when you see the commercial, you're like, Wow. That hurts yeah. because you are able to empathize with that feeling because we've all been hit across the face, whether it's somebody slapped us or on accident. You know what that feels like, right? Yeah. And so that kind of ties back into what we were talking about. You can feel pain without having anything physical happen to you. So it could be denial. You might be denying something. You might not. I mean, that's a that's a tricky one because yeah. I've I've known plenty of people who have had pain for years and doctors couldn't figure out what it was, and then one day they could. Yeah. Do you uh, mind if I cross-reference other uh, people in your profession? Not at all. Oh, good, because a guest of mine, Jody Goldie, said that you carry your trauma in your body. Yeah, there's growing evidence about in your that. your body. Mm-hmm. So you, you carry it. So yeah. if you've gone through tra- trauma or something, you've got it in you. Yeah. So if you feel are feeling pain... Uh, maybe it's for a, a, a real reason, and you can't put your finger on it. Yeah, I would encourage anyone who is struggling with chronic pain that is kind of undiscoverable by doctors. Um, I, I would recommend if you aren't that you start working with a therapist yeah, and try helpful. to get to the heart of you know what cognitively might be going on for you that's causing that pain. It could be something old, and. You know, we haven't talked about it yet, but there's another defense mechanism called repression. Uh, that was on next on my list. You I can believe it. I I sensed it. No, did you? I am a psychologist. You're good. You're I know. Good. I, I could be good once in a while. <laughs> or I'm lucky. It's one or the other. One or the other. I'm going to say good. We'll just go with that. We'll stick with that. But a lot of people have 
we can't we can't really repress memories. I mean, that's that's an idea that a lot of people have that I have all these repressed memories and we we can try to repress them, but you can't just completely erase a memory from your from your mind. Um, you can stop thinking about it. You can forget about it for a long time, but it's still going to be there. And like, um, like you were talking about when trauma, it can it's kind of imprinted in you whether you like it or not. And so I think sometimes people who are dealing with, with pain like that, it, it probably often is tied into something that's unresolved in their life that they really haven't been able to experience true healing for. And it's a lot like uh, ripping up an old scab or scar. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to you have to open it up again. Sure. And you have to dig in. And that's hard. It's hard work. And it can be really painful to go through something like that and revisit it. But in the end, the healing is worth it. Mm-hmm. Because like people with knee injuries, if they don't get everything out, you're going to have to go back and scope it out and get those loose bodies out, shave off that extra tendon yeah. piece that never healed up right. We have that emotionally too. Yeah. And it's okay to go back and get some help for something that you haven't fully resolved. Andy, is the the, the old saying, uh, you deal with it or it will deal with you? Is that fair? I think it's pretty fair in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah for so sure. Let's talk a little bit more about repression and mm-hmm. it seems that that's information you try to keep out of your your conscious awareness oh yeah and, and isn't that kind of healthy in some regards and unhealthy in others yeah i think it's unhealthy when you're re- kind of refusing to deal with something okay um it, it's tied a little bit to denial it's you might not be denying it but you're denying dealing with it and so when you repress something for example uh someone you care about says something really hurtful to you and it's tied to something that you know you could probably improve on, mm-hmm. and you just repress it. I'm going to push that deep down inside myself. I don't want to deal with that again. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want you to bring it up. I just want it to go away. Mm-hmm. That's that's unhealthy repression. Yeah. What if that goes on in marriages, and it's something that happened 20 years ago, and it's still under the rug? Yeah, that's the rug really, is really bumpy. Yep. You're you going to trip on that bump every you time. You can't vacuum the rug. You can't do much anymore because no. the rug is so bumpy. It's a great analogy, you know, the sweeping under the rug thing. I have used that one before, too. And Really? Yeah. And, that one's and, not patent pending. No. The other one is, though. Yeah, that one's kind of kind of an that old school one. It's public domain. <laughs> <laughs> you like, can use that one all you right? want. Yeah, like all the old hymns are all public yeah. domain now, right? Yeah, but, you know, for a person who may have, uh, have repressed memories, and maybe they had some suffered something uh, it, when they're younger, when they were younger, a child maybe, and they're, mm-hmm. they're to this day, they're still having difficulty forming good relationships. Yeah. Uh, whether it's friendships or or relationships at work or or you know romantic relationships, yeah, and that's if those if that repression is causing that much difficulty, then you got to pay attention to that. Absolutely, it's it's like a rock in your shoe. You can get used to walking with it, but eventually you're going to feel it again. And until you get the rock out of your shoe, it's never going to completely go away. No, um, it's. Yeah, we all have, I think we all have things in our past, recent or long-term, that are hurtful and, and unpleasant to think about, but those things also shape who we are, and we we can't just hide from our past, no matter how bad it is. You have to deal with it at some point, or it will come back eventually. It'll come back and get you. Mm-hmm. Andy, what is suppression? I think we talked about repression and I sort of get that but suppression I'm not sure if I understand what that is I think it's the same 
Okay. I think it's very similar. Okay. So, when you, yeah, suppressing something, repressing. Yeah. It's more like... A potato, potato? Re, yeah. Repression is probably a little bit maybe older stuff, and suppressing something is probably maybe something that's newer. Yeah. That's... And I, how, I would view those as basically the same thing. Is there a healthy side and a, and a not healthy side to, to some of these conditions? Like suppression, yeah. let's say, let me suppress my feelings about having my alarm go off at five and going for a two-mile run because my, my, my mind wants to stay in bed, for example. Yeah. I'm going to suppress what, what I want to do in order to accomplish what I think I need to do. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good Is that a healthy side of suppression? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And what would be the unhealthy side of suppression? Uh, same thing, when you're just... Pushing stuff away when you're, yeah, because suppressing is like crushing something down beneath the surface of your consciousness or your existence. So I think, yeah, I think they're, I think they're close enough. Mm-hmm. What is intel, intellectualization? That's even a big word to say. Oh yeah. Well, that's when. I practiced that before the show. Did you really? Yeah, because I thought I was going to bring that up. I wanted to make sure I got it out. <laughs> that's a, it is kind of a, they're not all the best worded things I intellectualization kind of is a little clunky to get I, out i kind of agree yeah, actually i just had to think how to say it myself so. yeah um that's when you're it's it's similar to rationalization um a great example is when for example you're you're involved with a funeral and instead of dealing with the grief you intellectualize the process of dealing with the funeral and all the details and you want to talk about all of the nuts and bolts of planning a funeral sure. and don't want to talk about the actual event death right death mm-hmm. um that's a great way to do it or that's a great example of it um maybe something went poorly at work and instead of just saying i did a poor job on that you find all the intellectually acceptable reasons why it wasn't a successful project why it didn't work out well it didn't work out because of these five things when in the end it was you're the one who did those five things poorly, mm-hmm. so it's it's on you. And so you can you can explain away intellectually using rational reason yep. and logic yep. why this didn't work out. Well, what if you were diagnosed with something that was kind of scary, and instead of dealing with the distress of yeah. it, you start to intellectualize everything, and and you can't really con- you can't really connect to people about it because you're so busy analyzing it. Yeah, that's where it. That's where it could actually be helpful to someone to deal, to cope with something really bad news. You know, you, you mentioned like you get a bad diagnosis, a health diagnosis, and the doctor says, this is really serious. It's going to change your life and it's going to be a huge battle for you, whatever, whatever it is. I think a lot of people will go to that intellectualization, talk about the disease or the, or the illness. They'll, they'll learn all the important details about it and they will learn all the treatment options and they will do everything to talk about it and mm-hmm. deal with it, minus the f- the feelings part, the f- the fear, the anxiety that goes with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay for a bit, because you're getting such stunning news, some such such life changing news. Right. A lot of these defense mechanisms are okay for a short amount of time, but when they become the norm for you, that's when it can become an unhealthy type of situation. Because in the end, you get a terrible diagnosis. You have to deal with it. Yes, you do. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't intellectualize it away. Right. You you have to deal with your feelings. And so if that's a short-term fix, it's okay. But in the long term, you still need to get mm-hmm. right with your feelings. Our minds are certainly complicated. Oh, yeah, they are. And Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace 
whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So we're going to take a little break and we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Andy Scudinga about defense mechanisms. If anything you heard so far you'd like us to elaborate on or you have a question about anything you've heard, you can text it over 877-933-2484 and we'll be right back with Andy. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, Dr. Andy Scudinga is with me in studio, and we're talking about our defense mechanisms, of which we have many, I'm discovering. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking about, I quote other guests I have on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my faves, Todd Mulliken, says um, that you should speak without being offensive and listen without being defensive. Oh, and that's solid. That's really good. Uh, tell me about it. I need that one. I should. I need to that's remember that one. Too. I bet it is. Yeah, but it's Todd's patent pending. Did he, does he have a book? Yeah, he's got several books. Is it in it? I don't know. Todd, oh. if that's in your if that's in your book, you should definitely trademark that one. All right, let's let's that's good. Uh, yeah, because to be able to listen without being defensive and speak without being offensive, is, yeah. was really a, it's a great format for communicating well. It is. Yeah, and that that's hard to do on both ends sometimes yeah yeah so let's talk about projection because uh yeah you know if you uh if you have qualities about yourself or feelings that you don't really like you can just attach them to other people can't you absolutely you blame other people for the feelings that you have about yourself okay because that's easier to swallow than recognizing it yourself so, for example, you you have a coworker, and or I don't know. We we've been using coworkers a lot. I feel bad for the coworkers, but your coworker says says nothing to you, but you're frustrated with your own work. So you say to your coworker, "I look, I know you're frustrated with me for the for the work that I'm doing, but I'm doing my best." Mm-hmm. Your coworker's like, "I what? I never I never <laughs> said I never said it. I didn't say anything. Yeah. It, it's not a problem." But we we do that because again, it's easier it's like sublimation, right? It's easier to take that from somebody else who doesn't mean as much to you than it is to take something like that from yourself. And people use projection quite a bit. You'll hear it in conversations. People will say things to each other and you're like, "You're you're projecting." On them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will, I will hear that and I will, I will see that. I get that with students sometimes too. They'll talk about professors don't like them yeah, because they don't get good grades in their papers. And it's like, I don't think the professor even knows you very well. You're projecting 
that negative feeling because maybe you feel bad because you didn't do well in the paper and it was because you did it at 2 o'clock in the morning the night before. Okay, maybe we're doing a rationalization then, which is another no. defense yeah, mechanism. Yeah, there you go. So I'm going to say my poor exam on my, on my, my test, I'm going to blame the instructor yeah. uh, for my poor exam than admitting my own lack of preparation. Yeah. You know, if he was just a better instructor, I would have tested better. Here's the secret sauce. Faculty members listening out there, you yeah. just tell them that before the first test. It's like, <laughs> hey, look, I just want to be clear with all of you. If you do poorly on this test, it's not my fault. It's yours because I'm going to tell you basically what's on it, give you a kind of an idea of what's going on. So I take that one away from my college students, especially if they're in a psychology class. We get that one off the board right away. Mm-hmm. Can't use that defense mechanism. It's not my fault. Yeah. So, Andy, if we're going to um, cope with our unhealthy def- defense mechanisms, and it sounds like from what we've talked about, there's several of them. Yeah. The sublimation sounds like one that's potentially healthier, mm-hmm. but the rest of them feel a little bit dark and cloudy with a chance of yeah. rain. <laughs> Is it not? Yeah. So how do we create a, a greater self-awareness? Well, that's a, that's a really important part of the puzzle is recognizing when you're when you're doing some of these things recognizing that oh man i'm i'm taking out my my work frustration on my family yeah like why am i yelling at my kids right now it's because i'm i'm still frustrated about what happened at work sure or in traffic or you know whatever i'm hanging on to anger for something else so the first the, the most important step i think in with with these in particular is recognizing when you're utilizing a defense mechanism instead of hitting whatever your issue is head on and, and dealing with it face-to-face. When you're able to recognize when you are doing those things, that's when you can kind of intellectualize with yourself, okay, I realize I'm feeling this way, here's why. What's the source of my discomfort or my upsetness? It's this. I need to deal with whatever this is, whether it's another person, then it means you need to go to that person and have, you know, like the Bible says, and, and teachers always like to tell kids you know, if you have a problem with somebody, you need to go to them first, mm-hmm. deal with it first. And so that's still what we need to do as, as adults. When we have a problem with somebody, we need to be direct with them and tell them the truth. And we need to, you know, use I statements instead of you statements. I feel this way when you say things like this to me, instead of going home and holding that in and then blowing up at our family. That's, that's one way to, to go about stopping yourself from Mm-hmm. taking these things and using them in unhealthy ways. Yeah. Andy, let's talk a little bit more about rationalization because I think that's <clears throat> probably one that everybody's got their mm-hmm. their, um, their fingers on in terms of that's the most readily accessible thing that yeah. someone would do. Um, and it's a defense mechanism that probably involves explaining some unaccept- unacceptable behavior or or feeling kind of in, the, in a rational or logical manner, avoiding the true reason. Yeah, it's it's a way for people to to it's again, it's passing blame from something that you've probably done on to to someone else. Well, I had to react this way because you were rude to me. Mm -hmm. I I had no other choice. Right. That's that's classic rationalization. I can explain my bad behavior to you because of a different reason, because of something else outside of me. So it's not it's not really my fault. You made me do this. You made me feel really negative so i'm acting negatively to you and we we can't we can't do that because you're just saying my i'm allowed to sin because someone sinned against me first 
Right. That's, that's basically enough. Freud wouldn't have said that, but that's what it is. That's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. So if we're avoiding the true reasons for the behavior, that is never going to end well. It's only going to make it more convoluted, isn't it? Yeah, it'll it'll definitely muddy the waters. Yeah, because we're we're passing. A lot of these are about passing the blame for our own issues onto someone else, because it's more palatable, and it it protects your ego. Right. All of these are about making myself feel better. All of, all of these defense mechanisms are about protecting my feelings and protecting myself from looking bad, from taking responsibility, from, um, yeah, basically from those two things. It, I'm able to justify whatever I've done with something else. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a freeing thing for people, even though it's really unhealthy and, and really, I shouldn't say really unhealthy, even though it's unhealthy and negative. It's, it's not the best way to go about solving your, your problems. Mm-hmm. When I do work in addiction recovery with men, this saying has bantered around recovery, and that is, when all else fails, tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. And so, that's, it's hard for people to do that well sometimes. I, I think a lot of conflict is about telling the truth, but in an explosive way or a mean way or an insensitive way. Right. Or sometimes you're not even thinking of how you're doing. You're just telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Hey, that doesn't really look very good on you. Or passive aggressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another thing, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I wasn't born in Minnesota. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you an East Coast guy? No. Where are you? All over. Oh, you're Colorado, aren't you? Midwest. Uh, my parents live there. That's so I've right. lived on the West Coast, Arizona, Seattle, okay. Indonesia, Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, it's Minnesota. The, 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 for those of you who are not from Minnesota, the passive-aggressive thing really is truly a way of life here. Is it? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me an example. It's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, you know, when I, somebody gave me a great example the other day. I can't remember That's what okay. it was. It was something like, I can't, I can't That's remember. That's okay. I put you on the spot. There's, you know, it'll come to you at two in the morning. So text yeah. me. Thanks. Yeah. So I, I still want to know what it is. Now I will text you at two in the That's morning. That's all right. I, I don't have any <laughs> notifications on my phone. It's not going to buzz. That's a good yeah. idea. So let's talk about as believers, how do we learn a better coping skills? So we don't do defense mechanisms for protection, but we learn how to cope better. I mean, I think of, again, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Yeah. So if we take all thoughts and bring them to the Lord, take all thoughts captive. Yeah. I think that's a great starting place for coping. It absolutely is because we are filled with negative thoughts every day. I mean, every day we have, we, we question ourselves, we get mad at ourselves. Ah, you know, I'll say things to myself like, ah, oh, you idiot, which is really kind of a strong word. Yeah. It doesn't bother me when I say that to myself because it's, you know, I've, I've, I don't take that seriously. It's more like a, that was not a very smart thing to do. Hmm. Right. But a lot of people do have significant negative self-talk and they, they believe it. And that can be. Yeah, negative. So we've talked about this, I think, a couple times before, how powerful negative self-talk can be for people. Yeah, it's a big topic. It is, and it, it's it's so unhelpful. And the more you do it, the more toxic it becomes in your own mind. And, you know, we go back to the complexity of our mind and keeping our thoughts captive to the Lord. 
when we have negative self-talk, that is that is not godly at all. That's not of the Lord. And when we are engaging in that, it's important to say, okay, God, take that thought away from me. Help me to understand. Help me to remember that I'm created in your image, that I'm a child of you. And I need to stop talking about myself this way because I wouldn't talk this way about anybody else. And that's that's an important and helpful step that I think a lot of people could easily make when they catch themselves being really negative about themselves. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier, Andy, about some of the more common defense mechanisms. And I remember yeah. you bringing up altruism, yeah. which is trying to help somebody, which is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what about something like uh, maybe humor, where people will use humor as a shield? Oh, yeah. Um, and they will use it almost as a weapon. Oh, yeah. Freud regarded humor as an aggressive move. That humor is aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't completely agree with that, um, but humor is definitely a defense mechanism. I mean, how many times have we all made a self-deprecating joke uh, about ourselves or, yeah, <laughs> I'm that guy, right? You know, mm-hmm. something along those lines. But we definitely use weapon as a humor or mm-hmm. humor as a weapon. You can cut people to the core with a sarcastic comment. Yeah, you can. So easily. I've been very guilty of that in the past when I was younger and less wise <laughs> yeah. and less well not that I'm so wise now but when I was really less wise I could make really cutting comments to my friends sure. and family yeah meaning just I just want to be funny right I like yeah. making people laugh and oof, yeah I've hurt some people badly doing that all right we're gonna take a little break Dr. Andy Scudding is our guest we're talking about defense mechanisms today if you have a question or comment you're so welcome to text it over 877-933- 2484. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of the Afternoon Show. If you're a reader and you love Susie Larson, I've got quite an offer for you. She has written a new book called Waking Up to the Goodness of God 40 Days Towards Healing and Wholeness. And you're not going to believe this, but Our friends at Thomas Nelson, the publisher, has said we will give you 100 copies of Susie Larson's brand new book to give away. And all you have to do to enter to win yours is to go to MyFaithRadio.com, connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. The doctor is in the house. And that is Dr. Andy Scudinga. He's a psychology professor at North Central University here in the Twin Cities. And we're talking about defense mechanisms. Our brains are very complicated. And boy, do we look for every possible out to protect us, to do self-preservation, to rationalize. And I think we've all done probably some, we've all done everything we've talked about at some point today. I know, I know I have. Yeah, I think, I don't think I've missed one yet. Here's one, Andy, which I'd like your take on it, and that's the idea of trying to make up for when you feel you've had feelings or behaviors that were maybe hurtful, uh, you hurt someone's feelings, so all of a sudden you you show up and do something nice for them, try to, to, as, to assuage your own guilt. Yeah. You know, show up the next day and you're cutting my lawn, I'm going, Andy, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I got a lawn guy. Right. The, the, maybe the most common example of this is a couple has a fight and the husband shows up with flowers the next day. Sure. What's wrong or with that? Or an hour later. What's wrong with that? 
Well, I, I actually think there's a lot wrong with that. Why? Because you're not if 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 you've completely settled the issue, and then you're bringing flowers. Okay, fine. But if you haven't settled the the situation, and then you just do something nice for somebody, doesn't that seem a little disingenuous? Like, um, hey, I know we had a little problem yesterday, but here's a box of candy. That should take care of it, right? We're good, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's, you're just papering over um, the stain on the wall. You're just hanging another picture on top of that hole you punched in the drywall. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're just covering something by trying to be nice. And it, you know, honestly, it might work. Some people might be, I love the word assuaged, by the way. That's a good you, word. Yeah. Your guilt may be assuaged. Ameliorated. That's Ooh. another word. Oh. You know what that one, that one means? Yes, to make oh. something go away. Yeah. Fix it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, big words with Bill. <laughs> that, that's a new segment for your show, I think. Big words with Bill? Yeah. I don't pat. think it's going to be a popular uh, segment. Then I won't patent yeah. that one. All right. That's a long text that just came in. I need to let you talk so I process the other one that's oh, on okay. the screen right now. But let me ask you just a little bit about different types of anxiety. There's, you know, I think I'll call it sin, but... If you have, if you're, if you've violated God's law, that's sin. Period. Mm-hmm. But maybe you've got your own moral principles, and if you violate that, you have some kind of moral ambiguity or moral anxiety. Oh yeah. You didn't, you didn't stand up to your own standards. You didn't fulfill or meet your own standards. Yeah, Freud would say that that was tied into your superego. Excuse me. That's all right. I had Andy to use the cough coughed. button there. Yeah, I had. We have a cough button here in case you don't know. He radio. used it. He used it too. Oh, I used it big time. So yeah, Freud. I, Freud believed in three different types of anxiety. There was moral anxiety, neurotic anxiety, and reality anxiety. And moral anxiety was essentially the fear of violating one's own principles. And I think a lot of people. I think honestly, I think a lot of Christians struggle with this because. They live in fear of doing something wrong and doing something sinful. We do this because a lot of us had great parents who were teaching us what's right and wrong. And uh, back in my day, you got punished pretty severely for some of those things. And so you became, you could become afraid of doing the wrong thing. And you could become so afraid of doing the wrong thing that you stopped taking appropriate risks Mm -hmm. or you would be, get really upset and anxious about maybe I did the wrong thing. And it's that's not a great way to live either. And so mm-hmm. Freud was right about this, this moral anxiety that comes from the superego having almost too much power in your decision-making. Interesting. All right, Andy Scott, here's a, a message that came in. The reason Minnesotans are passive-aggressive is they have <laughs> a huge guilt conscience developed by repressed Scandinavians. Uh, they have to do everything to please the norm of doing good for others ah. and when they get tired they get snippy i love the word snippy snippy yeah i like snippy. that okay uh for example um norma makes five pies for the church for a funeral and then she's asked to work more on sunday to clean up after coffee she has a medical condition in which she is supposed to slow down but she can't say no no because she'll feel guilty so she takes the extra volunteer job and then feels tired and is angry at someone but she doesn't know who Right. And then she makes a passive aggressive comment that says, sure would have been nice to have a Sunday off, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And there's like, your passive aggressive. Yes. Yeah. I was I've been thinking about it and I couldn't come up. That was a good one. Thanks. Yeah. I set you up, didn't I? Yeah. Well, the yeah. texter set us up. both. Yeah, that's, so, that's true. Well done, texter. Yeah. And yeah, that's 
That's a, that's a great explanation. Okay. I, lo- I love that. Yeah. No, we were talking about, uh, did you mention reality, anxiety yet? Have you done that yet? No, we haven't talked about okay. that. Okay, because that is probably something a lot of people think about, and that would be the fear of real-world events. Yeah. And this is something you can pretty easily identify, I would think. Yeah, you, know? you, you, you have a speech coming up. You're a college student or at work. You have to present. A lot of people get really anxious about that. Yeah. That's reality anxiety. I mean, that's, and honestly, you probably should feel a, a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. That's not something that you regularly do. Right. Like, I, I do public speaking every day in my job. Right. I speak in front of teacher dozens of students or, you know, maybe even hundreds if you're in a chapel situation mm-hmm. or, you know, anytime I have a microphone, I'm comfortable because that's what I, that's what I do for a living. But, if you're a person who never holds a microphone and somebody says, hey, we want you to do this in church in front of 500 people. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if you feel a little nervous, that's reality anxiety. And that's actually a normal, healthy yeah. response. Or that, That's fine. Maybe something as simple as you had a bad experience with a dog when you were younger. You got bit as a yeah, kid or something. Right. And then somebody says, well, come on in. Don't worry about the dog. Dog's friendly. And you're just paralyzed with fear. Yeah. The dog is probably friendly. Oh, yeah. But. You got something in your brain that says, nah, I ain't doing this. We have this happen at our house all the time. We have a hundred pound Labradoodle yeah. who's super friendly. He loves people <laughs> and yeah. he's huge. And you can tell when people don't have a real fondness for dogs sure. because their whole body clenches up. They put their hands up by their chest. They turn sideways and they say, oh, oh, that's a big dog. <laughs> like, yep. Uh, that's that we call that reality anxiety, huh? Yeah. And then I'll say something helpful like, Don't worry, he just likes to eat faces or something yeah, like that. That's and then, helpful. Yeah, super yeah. helpful. So you don't have a lot of people that come over to your house anymore. <laughs> Not who don't like dogs. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, this has been helpful. I, I think it's good for us to reflect on how complicated our brains can be and how we do yeah. look for uh, ways to uh use defense mechanisms. Uh, but let's just Say that we always should take every thought we have captive to Christ, and right on. Uh, God will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on uh, on you because they trust in you, whose minds mm-hmm. are steadfast. So, Doctor Andy Scudding, thank you for being here, and have a very lovely rest of your evening. I will. Yes. Indeed. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, that's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.